0: Hope everybody's doing good. Um, I have a heart rate monitor on my watch, and it tells me that I'm like running about 115 right now, so I must be excited about being up here. Either that or something's wrong. So we got some doctors in the room, so just watch out. Um, we are very, very glad to have you here. By the way, if you did fill something out for the Thanksgiving tree, we wanted to fill that thing up. You may notice that there's a couple leaves way near the top. And that's because the kids at Backyard Bible Club have been seeing how high they can get them. And so we've got a couple that are really up there. Uh, but guys, if you just want to take a running jump at that to get them really high, we would, we would totally appreciate it. That would look awesome. We'd love to get some pictures of you doing that too. Um, so we are in the third part of the series that we've been doing, talking about do not Fear. Do not fear. So if you have your Bibles and turn to John chapter uh, 14, it says 10 on the screen because the guy who puts these slides together is a knucklehead. But John chapter uh, 14 says this, verse 27 says this Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Uh, not infrequently, and I, I suppose this is probably something that's common to most families, certainly most children. Uh, for some reason, there's something about the nighttime that scares them. Like most of us are excited to go to bed, sleep solidly through the night, but it seems like something before the age of five or six, it just terrifies kids, and so you have to have nightlights, and you have to have teddy bears, and even all that doesn't do it. And they have special blankets, and you're just like, these kids are armed when they're, they're ready to go to bed, but there's still something under the bed, there's still something in the closet still something to scare them. And so not infrequently, and when I say not infrequently, it feels like most nights, I have a five-year-old son that kind of I wake up next to in bed, and I look over, and I'm like, oh, there he is again. Something scared him during the night. And in the middle of the night, my highest value is going back to sleep. It's not like trying to solve his problem. It's just going back to sleep, and he seems to sleep fine next to us. So I don't worry about it too much. But I think about, like, I don't know what he's scared of in his room. Now, I've asked him at different occasions. It's been different things. Sometimes it's ghosts. All right, that seems sensible. Sometimes it's pirates. That doesn't seem so logical, buddy. I'm not sure there's pirates in your closet, but I don't know. I guess I don't know what pirates do in their spare time. Sometimes it's ninjas. Sometimes it's spies. But it's all whatever it is. And he gets scared, and he wakes up, and he crawls into our bed, and he falls back asleep. Now, here's the thing that kind of surprises me. At least in his little mind, there are pirates about 25 feet away, but he can still go back to sleep if he's in bed, in the same bed with his parents. We don't have to solve the problem. We don't have to take away the pirates. We don't have to take away the ninjas. As long as we're nearby, he seems to be okay. And uh, it, it seems a little funny that maybe his little brain thinks there's actually something scary in the room, in the closet in his room, but he doesn't mind anymore. Uh, he doesn't need his dad to bust in there and clear out the closet. He doesn't need to sing the Ghostbusters theme song and have me come in with a proton pack. It's all good as long as he's next to his dad uh, or his mom. That's all fine. And I think that's so interesting when you think about that, That is as a concept. Like he's okay with something terrifying as long as he's with his dad or his mom. He doesn't need his uncertainty alleviated. He doesn't need the problem solved. He just needs to be with his parents. Now, a fear of ghosts, a fear of ninjas, a fear of pirates, that's silly and irrational. All our fears are rational and normal and healthy. We All our fears make sense. When uh, our first child was born, um, I was a bit of a mess, and it surprised me because I'm not much of a worrier when it comes to things like that. It's kind of like what happens happens, but when our daughter was born, I was a mess because I just wanted everything to be healthy and good, you know, normal parent wish, normal parent concern, and it felt like as we got closer to the birth, I got more and more wound up, where I was looking for signs everywhere that something might be wrong. You know, the, the old, you know, you go into the doctor and the doctor says, hey, all the tests came back negative, and you're like, no, what's wrong? And they're like, oh, actually negative's good. Well, why didn't you say that? You know, that whole kind of thing. And I remember when we got into the hospital and my wife was actually in labor and it was, you know, it wasn't like the moment yet. You know, we weren't at the highlight reel quite yet, but uh, the nurses were coming and going and one of the nurses had come in and uh, was, and, and she did some things, you know, pressed some buttons and looked at some things and then left. And as she left, another nurse walked in and they talked near the front of the uh, hospital room kind of in hushed tones. And I was like, this is it. They're telling each other the major complications and they just don't want us to know. They don't know, they don't want mom and dad to know their serious problems and they're whispering in hushed tones so that we won't get worried. Now, probably what they were whispering about is that this dad is a little wound up and he probably needs some medication just to calm him down. Because everything was fine the baby was fine, there are no complications, there's no nothing, but I had a lot of uncertainty just a teeny tiny bit of knowledge and a lot of uncertainty, and in that uncertainty came fear. And I think that's true for all of us. When there's uncertainty, it's a huge opportunity for fear. It doesn't matter what it is. It can run the spectrum, right? It can be things as little as, did I leave the garage door open when I left home, or is the stove on? Uh, to all the way to things like, um, you know, is this just a headache or is it something more serious? Or it, can even, it can even get as broad as like, what is God doing in my life? And doubts and uncertainty about what God's up to. And into those uncertainties, it is natural and normal and usual for fear to kind of like come in and set up camp when we don't feel certain, when we don't have certainty. Uncertainty creates opportunity for fear. John chapter 13, just a chapter earlier from where we were, Jesus kind of drops this bombshell of uncertainty on his disciples. Now remember, they had left their careers... They had left their career path, promising careers, promising young fishermen. And they had left that to follow Jesus. And they had been following him around for quite a while. They would kind of like said, okay, we're all in with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, that's great. I love that you're following me. I love that you're all in. You have to give up your life for me. By the way, I'm leaving. And they were like, "Whoa, whoa, hey, what? John chapter 13, verse 33. This is what he says to his gathered disciples. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. Drops the bad news, and then Jesus does a thing we all do. We like, try to rush on to something else because we don't want to deal with the bad news. And then he gives this like, more quotable Jesus in the very next verse. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's good stuff, that's good Jesus stuff, but the disciples aren't having any of it. You know, I don't, they're not sitting there like writing that down because that's good stuff. They're like, whoa, hit the brakes, buddy. Hang on. What was that first part? And look at the very next verse, verse 36. Simon Peter says, wait, 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 wait. All this love stuff, that's fine. That's good. But where are you going? You just kind of drop that on us. Where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you can't follow. Come on, Jesus, stop being so cryptic. Just tell us where you're going. Later, Thomas would say, just tell us the way where you're going. And Peter says, well, well I can't, why can't I follow you now? And he actually goes on to say, I would would die for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, really? You would die for me? Actually, you're going to deny me three times. He goes into that whole thing. But you can tell that they're uncertain. They're not sure what's going on. They have kind of changed the direction and the course of their lives to follow Jesus. And Jesus has just created a ton of uncertainty in their lives. And fear has come rushing in. As it would. As it would all of us. What is going on? In uncertainty, we want specifics. We want details. We want answers. And instead of giving them all the details or all the answers, here's what he says in the midst of their uncertainty in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's the thing, folks. Discipleship, if we're really serious about following Jesus... It will lead us into uncertainty. God will ask us to do things that we are not sure about. He will ask us to take steps in directions that we can't see the end of. He will ask us to do things that we don't have completely mapped out and we don't have our planners and we don't have our day schedulers and we don't have every dot uh, I dotted and T crossed. He will ask us to do things. He will lead us into uncertainty saying, trust me and we're going to be like, "Mm, I don't know. And so a lot of us will say, you know what, I would rather feel safe and stay in the status quo and not fear, feel that fear and just stay here and just kind of do this thing and not love that person and not be generous to that person and not give to that person because that leads me into uncertainty. Discipleship will lead us into uncertainty. And the question is, how do we experience peace even in the midst of uncertainty rather than fear? How do we experience peace rather than fear? So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through John chapter 14, verse 27. And again, for some reason, I kept putting John 10 on the slide. So it's not John 10. It's John 14, verse 27. I cannot tell you how many times in my life growing up uh, that I had a thought and I thought this is a good idea. This should work. And I was always pretty confident in those ideas right up until the moment of execution. For example, this ramp should be just steep enough to get my bike over the fence. This branch should be strong enough to hold my weight. This garbage bag should act like a parachute if I were to jump off the roof. Unrelated, I've broken a number of bones in my life. I was a a trial and error kind of kid. That's the best way I learned. And it wasn't for lack of having plans. There were just always bad plans based on bad information and, and, and lack of knowledge. We are taught, we are taught to believe that peace should be at the other end of preparation. If we have all our ducks in a row, if we have our, all our, our, our things figured out, if we have our resume filled out, if we have everything done just so, if we have all the right people called, if we have everything figured out and taken care of, we should experience peace. And certainly we do to some degree. But we feel like peace is at the other end of preparation. In other words, this savings account should be large enough to keep us safe. This diet and exercise routine should keep me healthy for a long time. This degree should open up lots of opportunities for me. This career advancement should make me feel more accomplished and fulfilled. This book should give me all the information I need to raise a child. And all of us have experienced our plans being completely dismantled by reality. We walked into a situation feeling confident that we were prepared and we walked out of that situation humbled because we realized there wasn't enough preparation. We couldn't think of everything that would go wrong or could go wrong or should go wrong. Our preparation just isn't enough. And the danger isn't so much in having a plan, whatever. I mean, I know we all have different personality types. I'm not a planning type. I'm kind of just like, let's make it up as we go, which drives some people nuts, But it's not so much in having a plan, you know, Benjamin Franklin, fail to plan, plan to fail, all that, right? It's not about having a plan. It's about our faith being in our plans, and not really in our plans, our faith being in our ability to control our lives. That's what we tend to, or tempted to, place our faith in. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but we have very little control over our lives. We have very little control over what happens in our lives, what happens to the people that we love and we care about. We can't even control the things we plan for. We're kidding ourselves if we think we have that much control over how life plays out. You think back to when you were 18 and you were looking forward at your life and you look back at it now. Did it turn out like you thought? Probably not. And if it did, maybe you should write a book and tell us how that worked for you, how you figured that out. We carefully organize our lives so we can have certainty. And in that certainty, we want peace. And then life inevitably throws a wrench into the works, and it creates uncertainty, and into that uncertainty comes fear. Here's, let me give you a quick list of the things the Bible tells us not to trust, just real quick. This is throughout the scriptures, because this is a truth throughout, throughout the Bible. The Bible tells us not to trust horses or chariots. Not a problem for us, but the implication is the Bible says don't trust those things that you think will keep you safe. Don't trust those things that you believe are there to keep you safe. You can't trust those things. You don't know. Horses and chariots. I don't have any horses and chariots, so I'm good. The Bible tells us not to trust riches. Well, I don't have riches. The Bible tells us not to trust savings accounts and 401ks. We can't place our faith in those things. Those things, it's great, let's put our money, let's save our money, but we can't place our faith in those things. The Bible tells us not to trust princes. Well, we don't have any princes well how about politicians it's probably what solomon wouldn't wrote would have wrote had he written that today the bible tells us not to trust our own understanding don't lean on your own understanding the bible in psalm 94 verse 11 says don't trust your plans in fact the verse says god knows your plans are futile (laughs) how is that right Where we're coming up, we're like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to, these are the choices I'm going to make. This is the direction my life is going to go. And God's like, oh, my goodness, you have no clue. You have no idea what's around the corner. But I feel better if I have a plan. It's because we're placing some faith in that plan. And here's the danger. When we place faith in our ability to organize, our ability to plan, there's a real temptation to take our faith out of God and put it in That ability to plan. You simply, this is the truth, you simply cannot uh, uh, organize, spend, or save your way to real lasting peace. You just can't do it. It's temporary. You'll feel good for a little bit until something comes up and changes things. Instead, John 14 verse 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. You cannot create it. It's mine and I give it to you in the midst of uncertainty peace is not a result of preparation planning or control it's a gift from jesus and that's a tough one for a lot of us that's a tough one because i just want to know what's happening we are backseat drivers in life with god where are we going god don't worry about it i got it well shouldn't you make this turn don't worry about it hit the brakes god no no no, i've got it god i don't know and we want to grab that wheel we're backseat drivers Peace is not a result of preparation, planning, or control. It's a gift of Jesus. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Second part of this verse goes on to say, I do not give it to you as the world gives it. It's kind of interesting. Strange phrase. I do not give it to you as the world gives it. Corrine's grandfather uh, used to have a response when someone would tell him, have a nice day. And he would say, don't tell me what kind of day to have. You can use that. That's free. Some of you are like, write that down. It's a good one. Now it's kind of funny, right? Like, don't tell me what kind of day to have. Like, what's his problem? He's you know grouchy, right? And I don't know why he did it exactly. Maybe he didn't like people. Maybe he wanted to have a bad day, and he didn't need some well-meaning stranger coming in and telling him to have a good day. I want to have a bad day. Don't tell me what kind of day to have. I don't know why he did it, but what he does is kind of interesting because it proves that that sentiment, that common sentiment, every time we interact with people, we're like, hey, have a good day. You have a good day too. All that sort of thing. He it proves that that's hollow, right? Because when he comes back at us and say, don't tell me what kind of day to have you're like i i mean i don't actually have any control over the type of day you are going to have i was just wishing you a good day i was hoping that you had a good day i don't actually have any control or any say over the sort of day that you are going to have it's a hollow sentiment right it's nice it's polite but it's hollow it's perfunctory right and we know it's perfunctory because we've all messed it up you know what i mean Have you ever been in like a gas station and the clerk changes the script on you? Because they're supposed to say, have a nice day, and you say, you too, or you have a nice day, or something like that. And then the clerk will say something like, it's raining outside, and they'll say, stay dry, you too. Uh, Wait, I mean not, I know you'll stay dry because you're not outside. And then you're like, ah, they messed it up. It's a script. Follow the script. Don't change it up on me, right? I've done that more times than I can count, and I just have to get over the embarrassment. I just have to walk out and be like, ah. It's perfunctory. It's hollow. There's nothing really you can do to change the type of day somebody will have. It's not, it's just, we just say it, right? I mean, we wish it. We want them to have a good day, but we have no say or control in that, right? Just hollow, hollow greeting. In the first century, their greeting wasn't have a nice day or hello or goodbye. Their, their, their greeting was shalom, it meant peace. And you said it when you showed up and you said it when you left. Shalom Peace. I guess we say peace out, so that's pretty similar, right? I don't know. Peace, right? That's what they said. But it was hollow. They can't control the peace you have or the peace you experience in your life. It's just like, hey, peace, it's a nice thing to say. And I think what Jesus is saying here, I don't offer that gift of peace. I don't offer you shalom as the world gives it, who has no power over whether or not it actually happens in your life. It's just hollow, it's just a a social nicety. I offer it to you, not as the world gives it. I have substance. When I say I give you peace, it has substance. I'm not just giving you some empty blessing. There's some substance to this promise that I'm telling you, this promise of peace. I do not give my peace to you as the world gives to you. Think about this. Maybe you're teaching your teenager to drive, right? And you're in the passenger seat. How peaceful do you feel? (laughs) Not very. And maybe your son or daughter is well-meaning and they're driving along, about to rear-end somebody or about to run up on the curve or, about curve or about to hit a tree, right? And mom or dad is in the passenger seat and they're obviously a little uneasy. How would you feel as a parent if your son or daughter turned to you and says, do not fear, have peace? <laughs> that would do nothing for you, right? Because they, they, they cannot control that because they're not controlling the car very well. That's the problem. It wouldn't help you at all. You remember the Bobby McFerrin song? Basically his one hit, Don't Worry, Be Happy? It's a nice song, right? Ah, you hear it and you're like, ah, it's a great song. It's a terrible song. (laughs) Do you know why it's a terrible song? Because it it doesn't help anything. It's so unhelpful. Do you remember the lyrics to the song? Don't worry, be happy? Landlord says the rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry be happy. How does that help the situation? That don't worry, be happy, does not pay the bills, Bobby McFerrin. It doesn't help this situation. It's an empty, hollow platitude. When we say, have a good day, it's an empty, hollow platitude. We may wish it on them, but there's no power that we have to give it to them. And Jesus says, I give you peace, not as the world gives. I have the power. And he was about to back up this promise of peace with something incredibly important. It was, it, he was about to give a guarantee. And here's why. He was about to take care of the uncertainty of death on the cross. He was about to take care of the uncertainty of whether or not God loves us on the cross. He was about to take care of the uncertainty of our eternal future on the cross. And every time we had questions about those things, he could point to a real tangible moment in history and he could say, here's why you can have peace because of what I did for you on the cross. So when Jesus comes along and says, don't worry, be happy, there's substance to it. Because he has done something about it. Because he has the power to do something about it. When Bobby McFerrin comes along and says, don't worry, be happy, it's just like, that's a nice song. And it'll last me about three minutes. But at the end of those three minutes, I don't have peace anymore. The promise of peace is backed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Finally, the third part of this passage says this, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You've probably all heard some pretty wild stories about the lengths parents go to protect their kids. Um, Some teachers, not our teachers here at church, but some teachers have shared horror stories about the things parents have done. Because it's nice when parents protect their kids, like, all right, put on a helmet, that sort of thing, put on your seatbelt. But we have created a term, because it's gone overboard, we've created a term in our society to describe parents who are overprotective, right? What's What's the term? Helicopter parents, right? You don't find that term in the Bible, right? Not too much. We've created a term for overprotective parents. And these helicopter parents, the primary way that they do this, it's not just like, hey, put on a helmet, put on knee pads, put on elbow pads, all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, I mean, skin, knees, and, and, and elbows are part of growing up, right? But whatever, that's fine. Put on all those things. The helicopter parent, it's not that they're just protecting their kid. What they're wanting to do is, is create an environment in which everybody else caters to their kid. That's the difference between being a protective parent and an overprotective parent. Let me give you an example. One parent uh, had a notarized letter that they brought into class at, during the school year. Notarized. And you're already like, oh, great. Notarized letter. And the letter had three demands for their student on it. Number one, nobody in the classroom was to have gluten. Gluten. Now, their child wasn't allergic to gluten. Their child didn't have a gluten intolerance. But they as a family had decided not to eat gluten. And this, according to their letter, they didn't want their child to feel left out if other kids were eating gluten. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. Helicopter parent. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Number two, the class had a seating chart. And as you know, if you've ever worked with kids, sometimes you need to put certain kids in certain places away from other certain kids. Demand number two. My child gets to select who they sit next to every day. Demand number three. My child needs to be exempt from history class. Now, this one I can get behind, actually, because there's some classes... (laughs) I did not like in school. I can, I can get this. But here was the reasoning according to the letter. is because the child is too advanced for your history class. They're not advanced for the advanced history class, advanced enough, but they're too advanced for this history class. So they're in like history limbo. So evidently your child is just not going to learn anything because they're not advanced enough. And what parent doesn't think their child is advanced enough? I have got a better idea than trying to fix the world for your kid. Fix your kid. When we don't allow peace to work in our lives, it's like we are being overprotective parents. Or we're acting like God, rather, maybe should be an overprotective parent. We want God to change the world for us. For our peace. For our benefit. God, you need to fix everybody else. You need to fix my situation. You need to solve everything so that I can have peace. And God's like, I'm not a helicopter parent. You know that? God allows you to skin your knee. God allows you to fall down. God's not a helicopter parent. Well, that's a good quote from the sermon, right? (laughs) God's not a helicopter parent. Next time you wonder why God doesn't bust in and just fix your situation for you, maybe He's trying to fix you. Maybe he's trying to help you develop peace rather than creating it in the world so that you will just naturally experience it because it doesn't actually transform who you are because we are being, as disciples, are being transformed into the image of Jesus. This is the guy who could take a nap in the stern of a ship during a storm. That's some kind of inner peace, isn't it? At the end of this whole speech where Jesus has told them, hey guys, I'm leaving, I'm I'm out. I'm going somewhere and I can't tell you, just trust me. And the apostles are like, I don't know, I don't know. And finally, as he wraps up this speech, he says something that I think is just beautiful. It's in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things, the last couple chapters. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have uncertainty. You will have trouble. You will have problems. I'm not fixing those for you. I'm not a helicopter parent. In this world, you will have reasons not to have peace. But, take heart. I have overcome the world. In me, you will have peace. You don't have to make sure your world is just so, just right. That's not going to happen anyway. Peace is not an absence of those things which would cause fear or uncertainty. Peace is allowing God to move into the uncertainty of our lives. Like Liam, it doesn't matter what's in the closet. It could be monsters, ninjas, pirates, ghosts. It doesn't matter as long as he is with his parents. It doesn't matter. Discipleship can lead to a lot of uncertainty in our lives. Following Jesus raises a lot of questions. And I think that most of us, because of fear, we choose to live sort of a status quo Christianity. We don't risk very much. We don't, we don't exercise faith very much. And this is a charge to me as much as anybody else. But I, I think we choose to live sort of a status quo Christianity. A Christianity that sort of balances between that's too uncertain, that's too far out, that's too risky for me. I will I would rather live in certainty and kind of just do my own thing than, than step out in faith and risk that uncertainty. But understand that it's when you step out in faith into that insert uncertainty that God can give you His peace, His gift of peace. And ironically enough when we stay back and we just hold it together and we try to just live and we live in fear it's no wonder that his peace can't exist in us because we haven't stepped into that we haven't stepped into that that faith where his peace works i think that's important as christians to understand that maybe the reason we aren't experiencing the peace that we want from god is because we aren't risking anything in faith so this question for you as we wrap up where is the fear of uncertainty holding you back from deeper, bolder discipleship? Where is the fear of uncertainty holding you back from deeper, bolder discipleship? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I am grateful uh, to be a child of yours with all the, the blessings that that entails, Lord. And I just pray that you would forgive me for when I've taken those blessings and I've lived, still lived in fear and not lived in faith and not experienced your peace because of uh, of what i've Chosen to do, Lord, help me understand that in you, you have the gift of peace for us. That you have the gift uh, of calmness and of and of well being. And it's not in uh, making sure that we have all our plans figured out, and it's not in in hollow, empty sentiments, and in, and it's not in fixing the world around us, but that you're trying to change us. You're trying to transform us. And I thank you for that gift of peace. And I pray for our church family that we would experience that peace because we were living in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.